I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. ES Audio. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Hello and welcome to the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast. Uh, I'm Lawrence Delalio. This week we're coming to you live from the London office of QBE Business Insurance, where we have a very smart looking audience, and I'm sure a very rugby knowledgeable audience. Uh, who will no doubt be firing some questions over our way a little later on. I'm delighted to welcome back the first lady of rugby, the lady that knows everything, the lady that interviews everyone. Sarah, nice to see you again. Nice to see you too, Lawrence. Good to see you all. Shall I introduce the rest of the team then on the end here from the Evening Standard? It's Steve Cording. Hi, Steve. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. And this man here, of course, needs no introduction, although he is going to be very warm in his farewell jumper tonight. Um, a special guest this week, 54 England caps to his name. He toured New Zealand with the British and Irish Lions in 2017. Um, he's made over 160 appearances for Bath Rugby. It's Jonathan Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, thank JJ? You. I'm very well, thank you. Good very well. to see you. Okay, so before we get started on the rugby chat, we like to kind of find out where everyone's been up to in the week. Lawrence, like we were all grafting on BT this weekend. You had a weekend off. What did you do? What did I do? I saw you on TV. You're everywhere, Sarah. You are a superstar. You, uh, I mean, how many contracts have you got? I asked what you were doing this weekend, <laughs> thanks. Uh, I was watching uh, rugby because I'm sad, but uh, just enjoyed myself. Um, you know, walk the dog. Cooked a roast, had a few pints. I, I am kid-free now. My daughters have both left the house. My son's at Bristol Uni. So, yeah. Just, uh, I'm glad I asked that. That was a really interesting in. answer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I went for a session down the pub with my mates. What, what okay, do you want me to say? No, no, that's fine. Uh, Steve, what have you been up to? I was just going to say, lucky you, Lol. Uh, yeah, half term last half week. Term. So, uh, yeah. Everybody seen Ninja Warrior? Fans of Ninja Warrior? Well, I took my two little children to the new Ninja Warrior at uh, Guildford Spectrum, uh, which was fantastic. I didn't actually take part on the course, although there were a few dads in Lycra. I avoided that. Oh, nice. I was very tempted to try and beat the wall, but no, I didn't have a go. So uh, I'd highly recommend it if you've got children. It's a great day out. Have you ever done that, JJ? I don't have children yet, um, but I'm expecting a baby girl in June. Oh, you were doing yes, that? Yes, I am. I am. I'm going to be a father. Well, life will change then, watch out. Life will change, yeah. But for me, I've just been, um, we played on Saturday. We lost um, yep. quite badly. And then, yeah, I've just been at training all week. JJ, you know this. Well, I mean, obviously, when you have a boy, you've only got one boy to worry about. When you have a girl, you've got everyone else's boy to worry about. <laughs> just so we're clear. <laughs> that's, very, that's very true. Okay, um, let's park that chat for a minute then before we talk about rugby. Um, let's put some questions to our special guest. Um, JJ, it kind of seemed like you were always destined for rugby because I was reading something a while ago that your dad kind of had your kind of career in rugby all planned out for you since when you were a baby. Am I right? Yeah. Um, so 
before I was born, my parents uh, bought one of those little baby books where you write down what the baby's going to be called, what your aspirations are for the child. Um, and my dad, throw, I think it was a throwaway comment at the time, but he wrote um, international rugby player. And then, yeah, his dreams came true, I guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, Did he get rugby? He tried to play rugby. Uh, he's, he talks a good game. He said he was great. Um, I actually watched him a little bit when I was younger, and he was terrible. <laughs> but he, he played for Northampton. I love the way he's rating, rating himself with the DNA. International rugby player. <laughs> yeah. He got, got it bang on. <laughs> you going to ask about the England I, debut? I am, yes. I mean, obviously, times have changed a little bit, but I made my debut way back when Betamax video was a thing, but it was about 1995. I came on as a replacement against South Africa. I never forget, actually, when you, when you used to look at... Because you, you only came on as a replacement um, if someone had basically died, really. And I was sat next to Graham Dore, the hooker, and he said, Ira, he said, I think you'll get on today. He'd sat on the bench 35 times. And I said, what makes you so sure? He said, have you seen the size of those South Africans warming up over there? So, uh, JJ, talk us through your debut. Was it uh, at Twickenham? Was it away from Twickenham? Do you remember it? I remember it uh, very well. We were in South Africa, end of season tour, and I think there was approximately two minutes and seven seconds to go. Very precise. Yeah, it wasn't long. I had so much adrenaline in me. And we had a kickoff, and I remember, I think it was Toby Flood, kicked it short, we were losing. Seems to be a trend with me at the minute. But yeah, we were losing, um, sprinted for this ball. I, never, I don't think I've ever jumped so high, and I pretty much did a backflip. Didn't touch the ball at all, and pretty much broke my back. Um, but yeah, we lost the game. I don't think we won a game. No, we didn't win a game for that whole tour, um, and that was my England debut. Two and a half minutes. <laughs> Actually, I lost, I lost to South Africa on my debut, um, and I lost to South Africa in my last game as well. So it's, uh, thankfully, we did a bit of damage in between. But uh, you, um, you mentioned about, about uh, playing at Bath. Um, you've been through quite a lot of the highs and lows. You've probably seen quite a, a lot of everything at Bath. Um, it's fair to say you've had a challenging couple of years. Just, you know, you've got new coaching team, new players coming in now. There's obviously an incredible setup. We know rugby players go through all sorts of emotions throughout your career, but where would you assess the, the kind of mood of, of, of the team? I mean, yes, the results aren't quite coming, but it must, there must be a bit of excitement on the horizon. Yeah, um, yeah the last couple of years ha have been tough. Um, but in that, there, there has been growth. So Johan's come in this year and he's instilled a sort of game plan he wants us to play. And there is belief around that, but for us, we've just come short. Sort of majority of the games, we've just come short. And... You know, we're not far off. We've got a few injuries and, and things like that. But in terms of where we've been before, where we're losing games by, you know, 20, 30 points, if not more, you know, we're in the fight now at least. And it's just going to have to be that sort of added layer on top where the results will, you know, be in our favour. And, you, and you, would you, I mean, I consider you as a senior player now within the group. Um, How old are you now, by the way? 31. Are you actually? I am. God, you are getting on not, a bit. Not veteran, <laughs> not veteran, senior player within the group. I said you were 31. Do you get to challenge that coaching structure and that setup a little bit? I mean, is it, you know, because ultimately the coach is the guy that wants you to play the way he wants to play, but ultimately he's not out there on the pitch, so he's not the one getting his face smashed in. So do you actually challenge each other a little bit and is there room for that kind of two-way challenge? Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, I'm not one to shy away from, um, you know, what I believe in or how I think a game should be played. So, you know, more times than not, I'm at his office talking about in the right way obviously but talking about how I think we can attack better and I think we need to put more time into this area of the game and yeah we, we have a good relationship in terms of that. I don't know who your social secretary is at Bath. Have you got one at the moment? Because there's a certain Finn Russell 
about to arrive next season. I He'll think be he the might, new social secretary. I for think sure. he might he might take that up a notch. I mean, how exciting is is that that you've got him arriving? You've got all these plans for new ground, new stands. I know the league position doesn't look good at the moment, but it's all heading in the right direction, is it? Yeah, no, I think it's exciting. You know, Finn Russell speaks for himself. He's he's a brilliant player. I know him a little bit off the field, and you know he's good fun off the field as well. I won't talk too much about that. Um, but no, he, he's a great talent, and I think if Bath want to push on and improve their attack, he's the, he's the perfect man to come in and do that. Whether that relationship between Johan and him will end up Bath playing in that type of manner, we'll, we'll see. And he's having a really good Six Nations, isn't he's he? He's playing very well. well. He is, isn't he? I mean, listen, he's, uh, he, he's a mercurial player. I mean, you've got to look at his highlights reels. He does things that no other players do. And, uh, you know, that, that helps to grow the game. It brings new people in. Um, I think there's always a balance, isn't there? Bath kicked the ball quite a lot at the moment under Van Graan. I don't think they'll be doing that next season. So <laughs> I'd be very chatty. I'm, I'm interested. I don't want to be controversial, but was he a, a player that the, the coach went out and said to the owner, we should buy? Or is it one that the owner's bought and actually given him to the team? So it's He's going to sell shirts for sure. He will sell shirts, yeah. yeah. Try, saying that, try saying that ten times. Sell shirts yeah. for sure. <laughs> try again. He'd be good to watch. So a full schedule of premiership action, despite the Six Nations being on. I'm just wondering, you know when players kind of go back and forth from the international setup to club rugby during this period. Does that make it more difficult for clubs as well, just to get continuity and to know who's back in and who's going? Is it tough? Yeah, it is, because you, you almost don't know until the Thursday, Friday, if you're getting a player back. And it's weird. You always find, you, obviously, the, the players that are away are your better players, that they're playing for their country. They don't quite make the, the international side, so they come back on the Thursday, Friday. More times than not, they will underperform at the weekend just because they've not had that week prep at the club, you know, learning the plays, um, remembering how, you know, Bath, let's say, play compared to how England plays. So it is tough. It's tough for the player, but it's also tough for the coach to make, make the right selection decision. You mentioned your um, family earlier. I mean, you, you, you're being quite modest, actually, I think, because you've got quite a gene pool there. I mean, your sister's played netball for England. Obviously, your brother is a London Irish. What's your relationship like, particularly with your brother? Because obviously he's younger. I mean, I've got a younger brother and I was forever telling he him... He just what stole his pocket money, really. Exactly. Telling him what to do and giving him advice. I mean, does he come to you for that? Because you lived together for quite a while during lockdown, didn't you? So, yeah. Uh, so my brother's 12 years younger than me. So it's, it's not so much a competitive uh, relationship as, you know, many brothers probably have when they're, they're a lot closer together. But I almost feel like a father-type figure for him because I was 12 when he was born. But... You know, he'll come to me for advice. You know, I was super proud of him. Oh, like, almost got emotional when he made his debut last summer in, in Australia. But yeah, he's, I'm obviously biased, but he's a great talent um, and he's a better bloke than me, so. Has he forgiven you for missing his debut in Australia? You were on your stag weekend, weren't you? How do you know all this? Oh. Um, yes, I was on my stag do, but we had, a, we had a good phone call that night. He was drunk in a bar somewhere and I was drunk in a pub somewhere. So. <laughs> We're just going to get a restraining order for Steve <laughs> against you now, by the way. You know way too much, Steve. Um, big game on the weekend, though. It always is, isn't it? West Country Derby. Is the feeling running up to a derby, does it feel that little bit more different, spicier? How, how does it work? Yeah, there's, there's always that added edge. I think particularly this year, Bath are bottom. I think Bristol are second from bottom. So is the battle of the worst teams in the Premiership at the minute. Um, so Bragg and Wright's obviously there. And yeah... It, I think for both teams, it's, it's a massive game just in terms of where they want to end up at the end of the season. I'd imagine both teams want to finish in the top six to play in Europe next year, and that's definitely achievable with how tight the league is this year. So I think, yeah, this game's going to be a, a real hard-fought battle. 
Should we move on to Six Nations then? I think we should. Um, it holds a special place in, in your heart and I'm sure in, in every player's heart. You scored your first England try, I think, in the opening game against Wales. Is that right? Uh, in 2015, sorry to mention that, Sarah. Did um, you win? We did. Um. You actually scored a hat trick against Italy the following year, and one against Scotland the year after. So uh, I think you've done very, very well. Uh, England heading to Cardiff this weekend. I don't know if can we say anything? we can. I think we can. Have we yeah. got official news? I mean, well, well, I think the game is on. So from what we understand, that it broke just before we came out. So that's good news. Yeah. It's fascinating that whole situation. Must be very. Well, you, Sarah, you're up from uh, from Wales. What's um, you know, what's the mood like down there? I mean, must be, I mean, England-Wales games are amazing normally, so the build-up to this one, you know, with strike action, just fancy doing everything that anyone's doing in the country at the moment. Yeah, I don't know, lots been made of it, obviously, in the press and stuff, but I, I, I'm, I'm quite surprised. I think a lot of people are maybe taking the players' sides as opposed to the union. There just seems to be a real disconnect at the moment between the regions and the players and the union. It's all a bit of a mess, but I'm really interested in, in finding out what you lot think like this side of the bridge, kind of looking in on what's going on in Wales. It's great ahead of Saturday that it's in such a mess, isn't it? Oh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, withdrawing your labour in any job is, is the last resort, isn't it? It's never really... Um, you're never really going to win the PR battle when you threaten not to work. Um, and when you get your face smashed in for a living, you know, that's, that's quite, a, quite a big thing to do. Um, unfortunately, we had to do that in 2001, which is obviously a long, long time ago. We went on strike. We threatened to go on strike. We agreed with the then CEO of the RFU that we would um, be remunerated at a certain level. He then came back with something that didn't tally with the conversation we had with him an hour before that. So, you know, as a point of principle, we went on strike. Uh, thankfully, that didn't, that didn't materialise. We played Argentina, uh, which was a tough game, um, and we won 19-0. It was a real distraction for us. We, did, we didn't train all week. I'm sure the Welsh players probably haven't trained all week. A lot, a lot of sessions have been cancelled. But that can, yeah. that can sometimes mm. be a good thing. Uh, who was your spokesman that, that age? Uh, no, Martin Johnson, really. I was going to say, looking you, at that If you want team. a picket line, you send, send him in. I mean, look, there's no way that if I went on strike, people would say, oh, it must be you. But actually, if people like Johnny Wilkinson, Richard Hill and Martin Johnson did, then it, there must be something genuinely wrong. So I think with Alan Wynne-Jones, he's a man of you know, great standing in the game. He's a man of principle. You know, I'm sure they're doing it because they believe it's the right thing to do. I feel sorry for Warren Gatlin. He's in the middle. You know, he has got to be a friend to all the players, but he's also an employee of the WRU. So uh, it kind of feels like a really big day, though. Like it kind of feels like a big day in the kind of history of Welsh rugby. I mean, we don't know what the solutions or the resolutions are yet. It hasn't been disclosed, but it's interesting, JJ, isn't it? Because what I find interesting now is the mindset of the Welsh players going in to this game and just how much of a distraction this would have been this week. Yeah, it, it definitely would have been a distraction. We, ca we can't hide away from that. But the Welsh love to beat England. You know, if there's one thing that they that they'll want to get out this week, this game being on is everything for them. Um, they can let out some anger, some frustration. They've not had the best Six Nations so far, but England in Cardiff, um, those Welsh boys will, will be right up for it. And you know, we talk about a training week. We say, you know, if you train really, really well, then you're going to have a good game. It's not the case. Like sometimes I've had the worst training week possible and had one of my best games, scored a hat-trick at Twickenham or something like that. So it doesn't always correlate and don't be surprised if, you know, Wales come out all guns blazing on Saturday and, and putting a good performance. I'm just looking forward to watching this episode on Netflix. I mean, it'd be fascinating, wouldn't it? Although apparently the Welsh players have refused to film what's going on at the moment, but it'd be a great, <laughs> it'd be a great insight. I mean, as a player, I mean, how would you feel at the moment? Apparently they're walking around. Some countries have given them more access than others. I think England have basically said, no, we don't want you here. But if you had 
I mean, you've obviously got Ben Obano, who's a filmmaker anyway at Bath. I mean, does he walk around with the camera? Is he going to do a film on Bath? But how would you feel about it? Uh, I think in terms of... I think we've got to do it. I think in terms of growing the game, I think if you see what it's done... I didn't watch F1 before I watched Drive to Survive. I watched that a couple of years ago, and it's probably my favourite sport to watch now. So in terms of what it can do for the sport, I think it's massive. Like, I think you know the fans, they don't really get to see the individual as they are, and I think that platform almost gives them that. I think you, s you see a lot of media interviews and people giving the same generic answers, and it's, it's boring. It really is. And I think when, when you get to know a person and you know a player and you know what they're about, I think you, you, you're more drawn to them. And I, I can only see it being a, a positive for the sport. It's interesting you talk about growing the game, because what, what would you say is more important is it for you as a player? Is it player performance or is it growing the game? For me, they're, they're both important. I think if, if you see the way how many teams, countries are financially being hit now, it's like something needs to change, the model needs to change, and if this is the way to go, then I, I think just we need to. You look at you know, the way people digest sport these days. Most of our kids don't watch linear TV. They just consume on mobiles in little, you know, bite-sized pieces. We're kind of competing for people's attention. Uh, I've just started watching the Netflix one on the golfers. I don't know if you've seen that. It's fascinating. You, know, you sound like here, a grandfather Here's another, here's another private jet. Uh, <laughs> looks pretty good, doesn't it, being a golfer? But also, the way rugby is, everyone sees one side of rugby players. It looks terribly glamorous, um, and it can be at times. Um, but there is another side to it when you go through every emotion that any sports person does. You know, you have days where things are brilliant, you're playing really well, you lose form, you snap your ACL, you break your ankle, you know, you get stitches in your face. You know, there's all sorts of, you know, you can be dropped. You can, there's, there's so many different emotions that you experience as a player. Imagine, you know, being measured every single day on your performance, every day, and then someone tells you whether you've got a job this week or not. You know, you're in the team or you're not. And to go through that roller coaster of emotions, I think, is incredible. And to be able to share that with the public is also something that I think we need. And, you know, I agree. I'd give them more access and grow the game as much as possible because... You'd uh, be great viewing on a Netflix series, you would. Clive Woodward said to us in a room, he said, I want you guys to be household names. I want you to all to be famous and we're going to try and win the World Cup. Maybe not quite like that, Lawrence. So it wasn't quite, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't, wasn't quite what I was aiming for. But, you know, we got then. You know, we, we managed to take... Well, I said, look... I you grew the game. I was bringing on the white van drivers. You know what I mean? That was all, <laughs> it's a slightly different demographic that weren't watching rugby, really. But uh, How have we got to this point when we're talking about Six Nations matches at the weekend? I don't know. Um, let's move on to Ireland then. They're heading to Rome to well, face... Hold on a minute. Who, you, do you, think, you think Wales will win the game at the weekend, don't you? Well, I, I, if there's one game that... Wales could win it is this weekend because as JJ was saying they get you know Wales get up England, yes, I agree with you we've got uh, any Welsh fans out here that it, wh one well, two like, what do you make of the whole situation can, can you get a mic yeah yeah of course yeah, yeah sorry Thanks. sorry I thought you were going to do that you've outsourced it I like that <laughs> I have outsourced it, it yeah. he's much happier if you get asked the question uh, yeah, I support the, the, the players. So I think the unions messed everything up actually um, and I th also think we'll get tonked at the weekend you think, we'll get, you think Wales will get tonked yeah I'm sorry, I gave you the well, mic now. <laughs> Come <well> back here. <laughs> I've got to say, I've got to say, if in, in, this is a huge game for both teams. You it know, is, two yeah. new coaches, Warren Gatlin. You know, when you come back, I don't know what people think about coming back to another, you know, when Mourinho went back to Chelsea, it was a disaster. 
Warren Gatner's probably thinking, hmm, was that the right choice? But uh, Steve Borthwick's a huge game, especially when you've got France and Ireland next. So it would be a big statement if England can win. Yeah, what was the mood, Sarah, when he came back? Were you all thinking, this is great, it's going to go back to the way it was? I think like, everybody in Wales thought we were going to win the Grand Slam, yeah, basically when they announced Gats was coming back. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, we'll see you at the weekend. Let's move on to Ireland then, shall we? They're in Rome. Uh, can you see anything but an emphatic win for Ireland? Oh, Italy are improving enormously aren't they and I don't just mean that in the, you know just well done Italy they are they really are improving they make big strides if you think about it they've won their first Six Nations game well they beat Wales didn't they they've beaten Australia for the first time they've had very very good performances against South Africa they took France to the wire and I think there's a coherent plan there they brought a guy over um, Stephen Atoub who's really realized that you're never going to compete with rugby with football in Italy but what you can do is you can narrow down the number of schools that play the sport and actually fast track those guys through a bit like they do in Australia and I think it's bearing dividends you know they're, they're getting there and there was lots of people maybe in this room that thought Italy should never be in the Six Nations I'm going to Rome this weekend to cover the game I would advocate they should always be in the Six Nations I think it's a fantastic experience so they're getting better but Ireland are a different level aren't they and it's not a question of whether they'll win it's just how many and hopefully they don't pick up any injuries Do you see anyone beating Ireland? Uh, no I don't I think Ireland have Unbelievable at the minute. I think they're probably one of the best teams in the world, if not the. Um, in terms of how they attack and how they're all on the same page, they put teams under tremendous amount of pressure. You know, their forwards can pretty much all ball play. They have a great way of finding space, even when it doesn't seem to be there. Yeah, they're almost the perfect team at the minute. Talking about Italy, I think the thing that really impressed me about them is is actually the way they attack as well. They're, they haven't got the best individuals, but how they're actually performing in terms of 1-15, to 15, they're all on the same page now. And you saw that in that France game, they actually put France under a lot of pressure, even though they made some mistakes. Some of their phase play attack was actually tremendous and don't be surprised if they uh, come up with a, a surprise win in the Six Nations. I think with Ireland, Steve, what's kind of evident is just the strength in depth they've got at the minute, isn't it? I mean, they, they beat France when Johnny Sexton was off the field at the 49th minute. Jameson Gibson-Park wasn't playing. Um, Tyke wasn't playing, was he? Tyke Furlong wasn't playing. So, like, you know, big players for them and they still go on and beat France. Yeah, I think we touched on it already. I mean, they're so well coached and an English coach who obviously is another one who slipped through the RFU's hands. But I think they've got a plan that they're following, but I think it just shows the difference as well. I mean, we've already touched on Wales, the difference between the way that the Irish have sorted out their central contracts. Everybody knows they're all on the same page. Their professional clubs are all at the top of the URC. Wales is professional clubs, all near the bottom of the URC. It sort of tells the story, really, doesn't it? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio, Six Nations Special. Right, uh, let's move on then. Should we to Scotland? So they've travelled to France. It feels like that's going to be like like a massive game for Scotland. I mean, they won their first two matches of the Six Nations for the first time ever. Like, is it going to be another false storm for Scottish rugby? Or, I mean, I. I was. I look at Scotland. I mean, they. You know, for them in the past, if they beat England and they lose to everyone else, that's a brilliant season for them. You know, and let's hey, the Welsh feel like that. As uh, well, well, well everyone feels like that. And by the way, the feeling is mutual. <laughs> you know I mean, I mean, it's not your right to hate us. We hate you as well. I mean, that's just clear. Um, and when we display it, it's jingoism. When you display it, it's patriotism. I can't quite understand it. But um, anyway, I think Scotland um, have gone beyond that. They're now players who expect to win games. Um, they have a bit more belief about them. And as JJ said, they're a team that have, you know, they're, they're coming to the ball at the right time. Um, you know, they've, they're all, they've gone through that World Cup cycle. I think Gregor has had some ups and downs, hasn't he? Particularly with Finn Russell and, you know, not quite sure about who to pick. And there was people saying he should be uh, no longer be the coach but actually just at the right time the results are starting to come through now so you know I'm impressed with them they beat England I wasn't expecting that uh, I thought England might have enough just with the energy of having a new coach to win that game but it's four out of five times they beat England she's now getting embarrassing and you know they've they've actually managed to win back-to-back games so you thought Wales were poor that day this is the real test now because this is a big jump in, in level for them but I tell you, they will, they'll go to France and think they can do it, yeah. And like you were saying, JJ, like they've got players at the moment that are just playing really well as individuals, and that always helps, obviously, a team. Yeah, massively. I think look at Edinburgh, look at Glasgow, a lot of obviously Scottish players in their in their teams, and they're they're playing actually probably at their at their potential, and that's massive. That's that gives you such an added bonus if you know you're you're performing well at the minute. Um, that's the psychological, you know, upper hand you get from that is huge, and. Uh, I also think with Finn Russell at the minute, I think he's unbelievable. And if he's on the money, if the Scottish pack can match the French and Finn Russell's on the money, I, I can definitely see Scotland. I can, I can see it. I'm not going to... I mean, I don't bet, obviously, because I'm a professional rugby player, but I wouldn't put money on it, but potentially like a fiver. <laughs> Who are you going for there, Steve? Well, I think this, as Lawrence has said, it's the acid test, isn't it? The French, the French have not quite clicked yet. And I think them playing at home in a year when there's a Rugby World Cup, the pressure from the home fans for them to perform will just be immense for them to do it. But in terms of the Scots, I think the one player that you'd have to pick out is a very Scottish-sounding Doan van der Meer. You sound so Scottish, doesn't he, really? (laughs) But he's been been immense for them, um, as has their forward pack. But I think France by 10 on Sunday. Yeah, and I don't think losing to Ireland would have done France well, any I harm, think, look, actually, the, either, to be you know, honest. The, the key to being a serial winner is is detesting losing. And, you know, listen, France have been unbeaten for, what, 14, 15 test matches, and then they've come unstuck against a very, very good side. You've got to put that in perspective. Knowing Sean Edwards very well, um, they would have had a very frank and honest conversation on Monday in his Wiganese French that he delivers. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll come out the blocks all guns blazing. I mean, I expect France to win that game quite comfortably. Um, they're the best, one of the best sides in the world. And I think good sides, you can lose the occasional game. Uh, it's acceptable. And then you come back and win. 
Okay, well, I'm sure you guys have got some questions for Lawrence, JJ, and Steve. But before we get to your questions, it's time for you to be tackled, JJ, by Lawrence Lalio. Like, not like properly tackled, no, no. obviously. No, definitely just some not. questions. It um, won't be a high tackle, don't worry. No, <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> no, I couldn't get close to him. Trust me. Tackled. JJ, um, your full name, please. Jonathan Byron Alexander Joseph. Why did you look oh, at me? Oh, that's bit really a, bit of poet, Bit of poet in there, <laughs> bit of poet. I love You've got that. to tell us the origin of that. Come on, what's behind that then? Which part? <laughs> All four names. Well, Byron. Jokes. Byron's nice. my grandfather's name. Alexander, I think that was after one of the Alexander the Great or something like that. Oh, I love that. Really interesting, yeah. I've learned something about Okay, so the ne next interesting. So what does a professional rugby player have for his breakfast in the morning? Are you a breakfast guy? Do you eat a lot for breakfast? I don't eat a lot, but I, I had a fart today. Good man. Yeah. Good man. He's clearly not playing at the weekend. Uh, <laughs> Uh, best advice that you've ever been given? Um, my mum said to me, you can always catch up on a good night's sleep, but never a good night out. That was good advice. Well, you've properly <laughs> taken that, haven't you? That's we been your life mantra. Probably a little, that's on my tombstone. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, no, what would you say is the best advice you've been given? It doesn't have to be rugby related, no, it just could be anything really. It probably would be along the lines of talent can only get you so far. I think I was, I was always pretty laid back as a, as a kid and... Things did come easy to me, and then when I got to the professional era, I realised pretty quickly I'm going to have to work quite hard. Yeah, there's a lot of talented people around as well, isn't there? Um, who is the most famous person in your phone book, in your concept book? Choose a good one, eh? What, who's yours? Mine is Lawrence, obviously. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been hacked, clearly. <laughs> Tyrone Mings. Do you go to, uh, yeah, I'm going to freak you who's out your now. Son? You went to the same school. He was a yeah, but I didn't know him at school because he was a few years younger than me. We actually met him in Vegas. Well, you got to tell us that story. Uh, was I? <laughs> in Vegas? No. Uh, no. no. You go with us, wasn't he? Who go with you? I haven't actually been to Vegas. I've seen some videos of Vegas trips. Not those kind of videos, but like... Okay, moving on. Next question. Um, right. Uh, what did I say? Who would play you, or who would you like to play you in a film about your life? Denzel Washington. <laughs> nice. Just, just, just the governor. Okay, yeah. perfect. Aim that'll high. Do. That'll do. Um, who is the funniest person you know, either in the dressing room or outside of the dressing room? Um, Elliot Stook. He's, he's funny, but he's, he's more just like his persona. Like he'll walk into the room and get it completely wrong, but get it right almost, you know what I mean? And he's just, he's hilarious. He picks everyone's mood up. He's great to have around training. And if you were singing a karaoke song or a song at the front of the bus, what would you, what's your go-to number that you would uh, get up and sing in front of the team? Sarah's got a whole album, haven't you, really? I karaoke. Yeah. Um, Teenage pop star, just so you know. Probably a, a John Legend number. Oh, smooth, smooth. Yeah. Um, who's the best rugby player of all time? Who's the person that made you think, wow? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, that's only in my own head, Sarah, <laughs> yeah. I think. That. Honestly, I was told, best bit of advice, Francis Emerua said to me, when you go out on that field, imagine that you're the best rugby player on that field. You have to believe that. And if you believe that, you know, you might, you might do okay. But who was the guy that made you think, wow? I want to. I want to play this game. It's not an English player. Is that all right? Perfect. I mean, um, I is it Welsh? I thought you were going to say Gascot or someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> 2005 Lions tour. Dan Carter was something else. Um, so yeah, I'll say Dan Carter. JJ, what is your most memorable rugby moment? My best moment will be. So I got dropped uh, by Eddie uh, in an Italian game, um, and then the week after he brought me back in, and it was Scotland, and it was at home, and I felt like it was a big game in terms of like my future, like the World Cup was coming up. Um, there was discussion whether Ben Teo should be playing ahead of me and I ended up scoring a hat-trick against Scotland at home, which was, 
unbelievable. Like, yeah, completely elated. My family were there. Yeah, it was amazing. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Not a clue what he was doing that Australian, was he? <laughs> Not a clue. Did he give you a reason why you were dropped? Because we've heard some spurious stories from he some courses. Yeah, he never treated me like you might have heard from other people. Did you like him? He never, to my face, mistreated me. Okay. Ooh. Ooh, to your face. But he did behind your back. Well, I don't know. It's <laughs> oh, a Netflix series right there. Well, I think uh, it's very, I mean, I've been dropped. We've all been dropped. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard as a coach to speak to a player and that's your job. Delivering good news is easy, right? Anyone can do that. Same in business. Delivering bad news is not easy. And sometimes you just got to do it honestly and face to face and actually not leave a message on someone's phone or send them a text. Just tell them. And sometimes you don't know the reasons why you're dropping someone. It's just a gut feeling. I'm the coach. I'm, that's the way I am. Is that actually one of the most important things you want from a head coach or a DOR? Yeah, definitely. Because some, some of the excuses people have told me before or when a coach just completely makes something up and you can see right through it, who was it? It was someone like, there was a player and he, he used the excuse his work rate wasn't good enough and it was someone who is known for his work. I can't remember, I wish I could remember who it was. But no, you just want to be honest. Sometimes, I've been told by Eddie himself, he's just, it's a gut, gut feeling, uh, you're on the bench. Or he would tell me, I'm gonna, uh, this, this week Jay, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna start, my starting team is gonna be on the bench. So I want my finishers to be the starters. So it was a different way of saying you're on the bench. <laughs> Either way, you didn't appreciate it. Um, okay, guys, so we're going to broaden the questions now. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have got any questions for... Oh, you're getting up again. Well, oh, this is good. Come on. He I'll doesn't like sitting down. Yeah, no. I don't. Um, um, so it can be to Lauren, Steve, or to JJ, obviously. Well, hands up, please, at the back there. Anyone got any questions for... I mean, we must have some Irish, Welsh, Scottish fans in the room, English fans. There we go, sir. Oh, yeah. Uh, where do you think the amateur game will end up with tackle height? Go straight in there with that. <laughs> I've just retired. You, you can answer. You can start with that. In my opinion, it's got to change. Yeah, it's got to. It's, it's, surely it's common sense. I mean, Luke Charteris, six foot eight. I mean, when he was a kid, he was not that tall, but he would have been pretty tall. Him ha trying to tackle a scrum half, below the waistline, isn't it? I just, it just isn't going to work. And a lot of people, professional players, have come out and said, most concussions I've got is from actually going low and getting a hip or a knee to the head, so... I don't quite understand. I mean, I have a young boy growing up, my son, and we've all, you know, those of us who have got kids, boys or girls, you're on the touchline watching your son or daughter playing against someone who is considerably heavier and, and bigger than them, and, but the same age. And it's like, well, this doesn't really make sense to me. The Kiwis, you know, realise very quickly that it should be an age weight thing. You don't put a heavy weight in with a fly weight, do you? And actually, I used to turn up at mini rugby and I think, right, with any luck, this will be over by one o'clock. We can get, the, uh, get down the pub. And actually, you're still there at four in the afternoon because there's been that many kids lying prone on the floor. So I do think they have to change things a little bit, you know, for sure. When the RFU came out and made that announcement in haste, was that something that the players, I mean, obviously it didn't affect the professional level, but did the players go, this is, this is not, understand the sentiment, but it just didn't seem sit right. It just didn't seem like that was the fix. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it, around the change room, it was just it's known as a comms disaster, I think is what it was called. Uh, that's what I was going to say, but <laughs> I'll let you say Good it. old RFU. <laughs> They haven't really learned, have they? Has anyone else got a question? Uh, yes, sir. Just curious, uh, the for your time and for your time, JJ, and you know, big Bath fan. Where's the best place to play away? Not necessarily for the game, but just for the whole environment. Where was it most fun for you? Club or country? Club level. 
Well, playing away from home is the, ch- is the test of, a, of... I mean, I think, you know, it's lovely playing in front of your own supporters, but everyone can do that, really. Spoon-fed adrenaline. If you play, you know, in front of lots of fans, then, you know, it's, it's your happy place. It's comfortable. Um, you sleep in your own bed most of the time, and you've got a routine that you can fulfil. Playing away from home challenges you, challenges the group. Uh, the more hostile, the better for me. Uh, I found the south of France, at club level, really, the south of France, really, if you can go down there... And, uh, and and win a game of rugby and get a standing ovation from their supporters, then you know you've done something quite good. And actually, if you really want to find out about rugby players, you actually go and watch them away from home rather than at home because that's where you find out whether they've got the uh, they've got what it takes. If you know what I mean. What about you? So I'm quite different to Lawrence. I quite like a good track, ideally. Uh, so for me, it was be Franklin's Garden. Got a great pitch. The fans are actually brilliant. It's actually a really good atmosphere. But majority of players would tell you Welford Road or Gloucester, just for the atmosphere, the abuse. How yeah. small is that away dressing room, though, at Franklin's Gardens? It's tiny, isn't it? It can't be smaller than Bath's. Really? Have you not seen Bath's? I think there was something that came out, like if Bath were in the Championship, they wouldn't be allowed to be promoted because they're <laughs> the change rooms. That Bar- Bath's is so small that you yeah. have to get changed in the hotel before you get to the yeah. stadium. Right, another question. That was a very good question. Yes, sir. Um, one for JJ. Have the Wasps and Worcester players settled at Bath? Yes, very well. One's playing for England at the weekend, I think. Uh, and the others have, yeah, transitioned in brilliantly. Uh, all very good players. Um, all performed very well. We only had Billy Searle um, for a short period of time. But they, they added um, tough times for them, obviously. But um, they came in with a brilliant attitude. I think it shows that if you have a bit of experience outside of the rugby club that genuinely is kind of life-changing, that you, know, you experience a little bit of resilience and it makes you perform even better, doesn't it? It makes you consider yourself how lucky you are to actually reflect. And sometimes as professional players, you don't necessarily get that time to reflect. And when, when that happens, um, you know, that you go out there and perform. And Ollie Lawrence, what he's doing at the moment, Jack Willis, these guys, you know, is it a surprise that we're seeing some really good performances from people that have nearly had everything taken away from them. But you know what? That's really interesting because I, when I interviewed Joanne Van Grant, because like when they got to Bath, it kind of coincided, didn't it, with you guys winning a few games back-to-back, if I remember correctly. I remember asking Joanne Van Grant, kind of, is it because that they've arrived or what, what, kind of what's clicked? And he was saying that he thought them arriving had some sort of an effect on you guys as well by realising actually how lucky are we not to have gone through what they've just been through? Yeah, definitely. It's something that's... I've never experienced obviously before and I don't think anyone has in terms of as a rugby player you always feel pretty secure in your job you, you never think your club's going to go bust it's just not a thing that, that's ever happened and it was a shock around the whole premiership when you know there was rumours flying around but no, no one ever thought oh my god this could actually be happening and then when it did it was it was like whoa what what do they do now like people have mortgages um, so yeah it was it was a shock and it you know made us very grateful to to be at a stable club I guess. We've got another question here, sir. Obviously, international rugby is the aim, but for both of you, which do you prefer playing for, club or country? Lawrence wants some time to think again. Well, I mean, do you really need to ask that question, sir? You can't answer it, so yes. Well, well, as someone who's played international rugby, let me tell you that... um, (laughs) ..representing your country, uh, you represent the hopes, dreams and aspirations of millions of people. uh, And that is an awesome responsibility. And I think... uh, I don't know. I don't think anything comes close to playing international rugby. Um, it's huge. It's enormous. And it changes people's lives. You have the ability to make 
people enjoy their week and make it a better week or make it a better day. And life is about memories, isn't it, really? And everyone remembers where they were the day that England won the World Cup. Everyone remembers the day they were when Scotland beat England, whatever. So you can actually put a smile on people's faces and change their lives. Agree. <laughs> well answered, Lawrence. I was going to say, Wasp for you, though, was special. Yeah, listen, I mean, look, uh, you've got to remember that JJ, you know, I mean, he's always been a professional rugby player. I, I was working, uh, believe it or not, as a uh, surveyor. Um, Were you? Yeah, I think I was... Were you any good? I was all right. I think I was good at getting rid of squatters. I think that was oh, my main... Okay. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I was, a, I was a charter surveyor, qualified, thought I was going to have a career in, in property. Rugby came along. So it's, uh, yeah, for me, playing club rugby, I mean, just being very honest with you, everyone looks at rugby players and thinks some like, sounds like JJ, he was always going to be a rugby player. The last thing on my mind was to play rugby. If I was going to choose a sport, it would definitely not have been rugby, trust me. Um, I lost my sister in the Marchioness. Um, had a bad couple of years from the age of 16, was making some terrible decisions, getting myself in and out of trouble, and I thought, right, I need to sort my shit out, and I went and joined a rugby club, and I joined Wasps, and from that moment onwards, that's why I played rugby. And I needed a family, a community, you know, people to put their arms around me and to welcome me, and that's what rugby did. I mean, it's often regarded as a sort of white, middle-class, elitist sport, but actually it, it isn't. It celebrates difference, it brings people together, it changed my life, changed my parents' life, and um, it's a special sport, and that's why we play it, really. Are there any Wasps fans in? I mean, how delighted were you with the news that obviously they're going to play in the championship next year? I mean, that must have meant a lot that, that, that they survived. Well, let's wait and see who, who plays in the championship next year. Listen, it's a tough journey for everyone. You know, there's, there's, there's lots going to happen in rugby over the next few years. Fascinating to see what CVC do now. Will they buy all the clubs and then lease them back, franchise them back to the owners? You know, there's all sorts of models that could work. I don't think we're quite through the woods yet. We've lost Wasps, we've lost Worcester. There's a lot of rugby clubs losing money in this country, uh, whichever way they want to dress it up in their PL. I think the model is a busted flush at the moment. There's too many games played, uh, too much fight for players' services. Um, so it's got a long way to go. Yeah, that doesn't sound too doom and gloom, does it? But uh, hopefully it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, any other questions before? Should the likes of Jack Willis be exempt from the requirement to play for England, given the situation at Wasps? I think the, the rule, just so if anyone doesn't know, if you play outside of England, uh, club rugby, you can't play for England. Um, so Jack Willis obviously lost his job through Wasps, went to Toulouse. Just very quickly, I think the financial model of rugby has moved on since that law was brought in. If I was Steve Borthwick, I would be having a... And he can change it like that overnight, and I think they should. Um, because otherwise, you know, more Dave Ribbons is going to Toulon, more and more players are going to go there because it's a... It's a career decision, it's a financial decision. So, and I think you can enhance your career by experiencing different environments. Um, I wouldn't go to every French club, because you know, Toulouse is the best, but don't think every club's like Toulouse. They're not quite as good as that. Do you have any aspirations playing abroad? I'd definitely consider going abroad, whether Japan or, or France. Like you said, I think rugby career's very short. Um, so for financial reasons, it's obviously very good. Being in the south of France also isn't, isn't too bad. And played in the English Premiership for, what, 12, 13 years now, so to experience something different when I'm getting towards the end, I think, quite nice, yeah. How's your French? You're going to uh, think of someone uh, in French yeah, to say I that, aren't right you? You're going to say Trebian or something. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I see your agent's here is pricked up there, Trebian. I think he's on the phone now just to get a little deal. It's yes, sir. Let's have a well question. Uh, one for both of you. Do you think it was a good idea for uh, Borthwick to make uh, Farrell captain? Well, I think I've made my views on the matter very clear. I love Owen Farrell. He's one of my favourite players. I'll definitely have him at 10 at International Rugby, uh, ahead of Marcus Smith. But the reality is that every decision the referee gives, nearly every decision, is in and around the breakdown. And uh, I don't think you can... 
I'm no, you know, psychologist, but if I'm walking towards the referee to go and question a decision, I think that's quite an aggressive walk. And I just How would you walk towards a referee now? Well, then? No, you don't. You don't. You just. You just. Next Hover. To, I'm next to him. Oh. Because the, the, most of the penalties are given away in, in the game around the breakdown. So I just think it's really hard for people like Brian Driscoll and you know these guys in the back in the day to come forward and talk to the referee because everyone there's microphones everywhere. The conversations you want to have with them is when the ball is rolling into touch from a really brilliant kick from your fly half and you're all running to a lineout and you can have those quiet conversations in the you know just as you're running where not being picked up by commentary because yeah referees don't like to be spoken to like that and Owen Farrell has got he's you know he's a wonderful player he's a warrior he's a talisman he's going to be a leader anyway he doesn't need to be captain I would make Ellis Genge captain right now personally yeah I don't know I mean look you I think you waste it's like having a joker you waste the joker by giving Owen Farrell the cap every fly half's a captain they're, they're, they're leaders anyway and most World Cups have been won by a forward as a captain <laughs> Ellis is captain, Wendy? Um, I mean, I know Courtney's been injured, but I'd lean to Courtney Laws if he was back fit. Um, I think maybe maybe a little early for Genji. Um, but again, he's going to be in that leadership group. And like um, Lawrence said, uh, you know, Faz will be in there, Marcus will be in there, Genji will be in there. So there's many wise heads in that group. It is the captain on the day is pretty much the only person that will go and talk to the ref. So in terms of it being like that, like a hierarchy and this person is the main man it's not so much that these days there's definitely more of a, a collective and it's yeah. do you think we make too much about who's skipper i mean it seems we're obsessed with captains oh, in this I country so, aren't we yeah. yeah i think so i think you can have a big influence on the game uh, and you know as i said with the referee you've got to build that you've got to build that relationship with the referee you know I'm all of yeah I, I i know i know that for a fact you can and you know you've got to build the relationship with the referee, and it's such a big part of the game. The decisions, there's, there's, it can just go one way or another. And you can't look at um, Sam Warburton in the All Blacks game. You know that, no doubt that he influenced that decision to make sure that that game, you know, they, they didn't give a penalty away and they drew that series. So I think you can affect the game. And I would have a forward as the captain. Uh, would anyone like to ask one more question? Uh, JJ, I ask you: Have you still got aspirations to play for England? Are you still hoping to get back in one day? Um, yes. There we go. Perfect. Good, Good answer. <laughs> Anyone else like to f finish with one more question? We've got a bit more time left. Have we, Sar? I think we have. Ah, yes, young lady. Got to end on a positive note. Is it Grand Slam for Ireland this year? Is it, gr is it Grand Slam for Ireland this year? Well, they say uh, one, one game at a time. Well, Sar, you, yes. Sar is married to the coach of Ireland, by the way. Not Andy Farrell. Not Andy Farrell. <laughs> One of the other coaches. The other one. <laughs> um, it's definitely on the cards for them, isn't it? There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, the fixtures are a big help for them. They're, they're a bloody good side, best side in the world. They've got really good players. I think everyone looked at the championship. They were only one game away last year, weren't they? They lost to France. Um, and that was away in Paris. And that was close. Sexton went off. Um, so I think, yeah, with England and, and France, particularly at home, I think they've got a great chance and uh, it pains me to say but we were lucky enough to win a Grand Slam in World Cup year in Dublin away in the last game of the season and, and, and Ireland were going for a Grand Slam as well and we went on to win the World Cup and I really... Does that mean you think Ireland's going to win well, the World I, Cup? Well, I, no, I don't think they will but I, I was worried about their chances. You know, it was all about Sexton and him keeping fit but actually with Ross Byrne now, I think they... I'm starting to see a team that can cope with pretty much anything really and yeah, they, I, I genuinely think Ireland... France, South Africa or New Zealand will win the World Cup. The lady who asked the question, I take it you think that they're on for a Grand Slam, yes? Yes. 
Sarah's delighted, by the way, because she's obviously read her husband's contract and he has, he has some really serious bonuses that she's already spent, I would imagine. So That's a positive to finish on then. Um. Well, the Grand Slam bonus is a definite positive, I think. Well, there's a few more games left yet, right? Okay, um, I think that's all we've got time for and, uh, tonight. Thank you to everyone here at QB Business Insurance for partnering us um, on this episode. It's been great to have you all here and thank you for having us here. And thank you to you, Sarah. It's lovely to have you back. Uh, I meant that. Thanks to Steve from the Evening Standard. <laughs> and also to our special guest, Jonathan. Thank you. Uh, the podcast will return next Tuesday and we'll be back with all the weekend's results. Until then, thanks for listening and goodbye. The Evening Standard Rugby Podcast with Lawrence Delalio. Six Nations Special. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.